Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am Josh McCarty. With me, as always, is Luca. And Luca, it's a little bit different show for us today. We are recording this on Monday morning because you attended the Bills game last night, and we decided we might get a better version of Luca after a night's sleep versus a full day of drinking and watching the Bills. So we're recording this as early as we can Monday morning to get it out to all of our listeners who we appreciate. How are you doing, Luca? I'm tired. <laughs> Very tired. It was a long weekend, and yesterday was, you know, kind of the cherry on top when it came to a long weekend. Um, but uh, outside of the game, for the most part, it was an enjoyable day. Uh, the game definitely made it a little bit of a gray cloud situation, although maybe not as gray as some are feeling it out there. But definitely tired. If you can't tell from my voice, if you can't tell from just my natural demeanor a little bit, we're 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 gonna fight through this one, Josh. But it's a struggle bus this morning. <laughs> so I think this game is gonna be a challenge for how do people accept it because the Bills, if you don't know, they won 14 to 9. They are a four and two football team. And if your team wins in the NFL, you're supposed to be happy. And I, I think there's a lot of people out there that probably are, but um, I'm going to start this show off the way I do all of our shows. And this one's going to be unique because normally I'm like, hey, when Josh Allen took the final kneel down or when Trevor Lawrence took the final kneel down, what was your reaction? This game legitimately came down to the last play from the one yard line to decide who was going to be the winner and who was going to be the loser. So, Luca, when that pass to Darren Waller goes incomplete and you've processed that there wasn't a flag thrown on the field and <laughs> the bills are safe and they have won this game. What is going through your mind? Um, I will say this. So it was in the back of the end zone, Josh. All right. Although I think it was the opposite end zone. Maybe it was the same end zone. Memory's a little blurry, but what I will say is this as Tyrod throws that ball to the back of the end zone to Waller, which was at the end zone that I sat in for, for whatever it's worth. I was not tunnel side. I was opposite end zone. Um, I actually had uh, Jags Bills 2004 flashbacks. I was like, thank God force out rules not a thing anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Because same, same I was, yeah, I believe I thought it was because I don't remember mm -hmm. the tunnel in the shot, but I was sitting somewhere else for that one. But regardless, I was having those flashbacks where I'm like, we're going to lose on the final play of the game, especially when it comes to the PI being called, which for what it's worth in the moment, looking back at the giant scoreboard, the 1000 inch you know screen TV behind me, I was like, that's PI like mm -hmm. defensive holding or PI, whatever you want to call it. Like Bernard gets hold of him and does not let go the entirety of the play. Like it is what it is, people like it's fine. But overall, I'm not going to sit here and complain about that call. And we could probably talk about a couple other ones later on and stuff that are here or there. Um, but when that final thing happens and they don't throw an additional flag, I can understand why Giants fans might be upset because there is mm -hmm. definitely a conversation to be had there. But I also understand why the refs may have been very cautious to throw yet another one because it's like, look, we gave you one off the hook. It's really hard unless it's egregious to give you yet another one, especially when you see the receiver's arms both go up to try to attack that ball, which Waller absolutely should. You would see some players out there, I feel like, not go at it to try to get the call instead, which also there's a whole conversation in that, which I hate players and individuals that do that. But overall, when that finally ended, the biggest sigh of relief I feel like I've had in recent time occurred. And I looked over to my wife and I just, you know, we, we, we had a nice little kiss and then it was like, let's get the heck out of here. It's been a long day. And that was an absolute grind of a game. Yeah, it was relief. And it's funny because it was my second sigh of relief. Oh, we finally won the game in the last like 10 minutes of actual time because 
when the fourth down play on the Giants' second-to-last drive goes incomplete and the Bills take over in Giants' field goal range already up by five, I did have a feeling of, okay, that it's over now. Like The, the Bills, even if they don't get a first down, they're going to run the ball. They're going to get rid of the Giants' timeouts. Tyler Bass is going to do his thing, make the field goal, and the Giants haven't driven down the field all night on the Bills. What are the odds that without a timeout in their pocket, even if they, they hold the Bills to three and out, they're in a minute 20 going to go down, get a touchdown, get a two-point conversion, and win in overtime. So I felt like the game was over, and then ultimately the Bills did do the Giants a favor by throwing on third down. I'm okay with that. I, I will say I, I felt like with the first and second down runs, of Latavius Murray not gaining much, I would rather have a chance to have Josh Allen, my franchise quarterback, close out the game than at that point do what would feel like a give-up run and then settling for a long field goal. So I'm okay with that. The play was there, and just to, just to get it out of the way, Luca, I will say you need a better ball from Josh Allen there, but you absolutely need Dawson Knox to make that catch. So I, I understand people want to say Allen needs to give him a better ball. Um, I, I don't think it's fair to say, oh, Travis Kelsey makes that catch. George Kittle makes that catch because those guys are in a league of their own. Uh, but Dallas Goddard makes that catch. And, and if that's what we want to believe that Dawson Knox is, he has to start making plays like that for Josh Allen. And it just feels like it's been a little bit too long since we've seen Dawson Knox make a play like that for this team. Yeah, the whole night, it did feel as if Dawson Knox's role, I don't think, was for the most part most part the usual role. It mm -hmm. felt like it was kind of in flashes happening, but then in other times, it they were almost... I don't know what's going on with this wrist. I don't think much of us, many of us do, but I wondered if that played into it. And then, depending on what it was, and we can talk about Tyler Bass and his situation, there were a couple individuals tonight that they just didn't quite have their normal juice that it was like, I wondered what the you know risk situation was like. And I'm not trying to give an excuse. I am 100,000% with you. I would like to see a better ball. I even immediately after seeing it, although I'm not trying to let Knox off the hook, I told my friends, I was like, Josh Allen puts a better ball on that one nine out of 10 times. Like I, it was so, but it also, I will say this, it just fit for how the night had gone. Like I, no one wants to see it, but it just fit. Like it was like, that needs to be a better ball, but Knox needs to make that catch in the end. I'm with you 100%, but I do wonder, for Knox's sake, what that wrist situation is like because even the few catches that he did make, I believe he finished with uh, three on six targets, they were not exactly the most comfortable-looking things, and, and it's just maybe there's something in there that you can kind of give him a little bit of an asterisk for it, but overall, if it hits your hands, if the ball is in your frame, you should be catching that ball, even if it's low and away, whatever you want to call it, which, yes, Josh Allen should make. But I'm overall, it's not one person's fault. It's kind of the collective unit in the play's fault. But I, again, too, just to finish that point, I'm with you. I wanted to see them throw that ball. You have to live with that. You need to try to pick up that first down and running it, especially with what you saw the previous two plays, was probably most likely never going to see that come to fruition. So do something with your franchise quarterback that should hopefully see that come true. And unfortunately, for their sake, it did not. So it came down to the wire like it did. I promise we're not going to just focus on the negative tonight. It's not lost on us that the Bills won a football game on a weekend that had a bunch of strange results. And at the end of the day, it just matters about getting the win and not how pretty it is. But I do wonder, Luca, is it time to be worried about this Bills offense? Because last week it was easy to kind of toss out the results and chalk it up to, oh, jet lag or, oh, they were 
Um, they had the emotional defeat of watching two of their best defensive players go down on the same play. But just a reminder of what happened in the Jags game last week. This, this is the first five drives for the Bills. Punt, 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 touchdown. That, that ended the first half. First six drives for the Bills. Their first six half, first half drives for the Bills, six drives. Uh, three plays punt. This is against the Giants last night. Six plays, Gabe Davis fumble. Four plays punt. Three plays punt. Five plays, stalled for a long Tyler Bass field goal attempt that was missed. Five plays, interception, the one where Bobby Okereke tips it and the other linebacker makes the interception. So just to wrap it up, the last two weeks in the first half, the Bills have punted seven times. They've turned the ball over twice. They've missed a field goal and scored a touchdown for a grand total of seven points. So, Luca, we know what this offense is capable of when they're firing on all cylinders. Um, how concerned are you about the current state of this offense? I'm concerned about what's going on with that trend because the problem I'm having with this is something's there when it comes to it. And this is not a Dorsey kind of fire Dorsey situation, but something's there when it comes to people understand what they're going to get out of Dorsey early. People are seeing something on tape. People are understanding what's going on. I will also say this back to gun a lot again. And it's like, it's very strange for me to be complaining about gun with this offense, especially when you have Josh Allen. But when we have seen two weeks of full success under center and just how well this offense can hum to all of a sudden go back to something that we did see not work now come back to it. And it's still having its own issues. Maybe it's that tape with the bills in gun is out there to the point where your better defensive coordinators like a wink Martindale and so on and so forth can pick things up and understand essentially always be a step ahead of Dorsey and his play calling and what he wants to do to attack their defense. Um, that is the trend that I get concerned with because at the end of the day, I am not concerned with Josh Allen necessarily. I am not concerned with Stefan Diggs. I definitely shouldn't be after tonight with his 16 targets, which holy crap. But overall, I'm not concerned with the players. I'm concerned with what's going on as a collective unit and possibly the play calling that is making it. It's making the lives of DCs easier and mm -hmm. something is to be had where the lack of success early on is just now to the point where is game planning not good enough? Is Dorsey not changing looks? Is he not changing what he's giving the DC early on to the point where they actually can essentially roll the tape back from the previous week and go, oh, they're out in this personnel in this form. This is the two plays they run out of this, whatever it is. That is a very loose example, people. Um, because when you find the late success, I feel like more and more that is game flow. That's just players taking over. That's talent taking over. And we find that success with this team, of course, with Josh Allen being the elite talent he is with Diggs, so on and so forth. Even Cook starting to break out a few runs in the second half of this game, stuff like that. But in the first half, when you have so much failure, when you are held scoreless against a defense as a unit that hasn't been great, but they do have a decent enough DC, that to me is a trend of, hey, Maybe the play calling's too predictable, or maybe it's just too easy for the DC to be, be a step ahead. And in football, that's all you need to be on both sides of the ball. You need to be a step ahead. And the Giants showed, like the Jags as well the previous week, that it was easy for them to do that early on. And, you know, it's important to keep in perspective that it is October 15th. And the, the football week started off with the Kansas City Chiefs at home taking on one of the worst defenses in the entire sport and scoring 18 points. So 
understanding that weird results happen all the time. Jalen Hurts had three turnovers against the Jets defense and lost to Zach Wilson. Um, we we saw the 49ers get their first loss of the season to a third string quarterback in Cleveland, uh, PJ Walker. So you'd much rather have this happen in a win because we've seen the other side where the Bills play awful. Let's go back to week one and they get a loss as well. So this is a much more comfortable result, a much more palatable result. You mentioned the shotgun and boy, oh boy, is that just becoming a concerning trend because not to harp on it, but during that three game stretch where the bills looked like the bills, we all expected the Raiders, the commanders and the dolphins game. There was a concentrated effort to get this team under center to the point where Greg Cosell, Dan Orlovsky, Chris Sims are talking about, Oh wow. These bills are almost impossible to defend when they're under center because they're running the ball better. Josh Allen is one of the best quarterbacks in the sport at play action, and you don't know what they're going to do with their 12 personnel. Well, the 12 personnel thing was out the window last night. Dalton Kincaid did not play. Some stats here from A.J. Feldman, who is a Bills beat reporter. In the first half, when we just talked about the Bills really struggled, the, they had 15 plays in shotgun, 12 plays under center. The 15 plays in shotgun resulted in 39 yards and an interception. The 12 plays under center resulted in 103 yards. Now, it evened out as the game went along. Uh, they ended up having 34 plays in shotgun, 25 under center, and the yardage did kind of balance out as the, as the game went along. But I will tell you, Luca, right before the Deontay Hardy touchdown that got the Bills on the board, got the Bills the lead, it went to the fourth quarter. There was a long commercial break for a lot of us to stew on this. There was a second and one play call from the goal line. The Bills have a 250-pound quarterback who is widely considered maybe the best short yardage running quarterback of this generation, maybe outside of Jalen Hurts, who is apparently unstoppable. <laughs> and they have a 240-pound running back in Latavius Murray. And instead of doing a quarterback sneak or a brotherly shove or a let's line up under center, give Latavius Murray in his 240-pound frame a running start, and just dare the defense to stop them, they lined up in pistol shotgun, handed the ball to Latavius Murray five yards in the backfield, did not give him a running start, and he loses three yards. Now, the Bills go on to score on the next play, so it's a largely forgotten play. But holy cow, what a talking point that would have been had the Bills ultimately lost this game because they only got a field goal on that drive. It's still a talking point to me. That to right there is kind of another point where, again, I want to start this hole with, I am not fire Dorsey train here. Although it really seems like I'm adding reasons to be on that train, I am not saying that at this point in time. What I am saying is that is an extremely questionable decision. Every point that you brought up is valid, and everything you said is absolutely factual. Why you decide to then do something where the process of a handoff is quite literally maybe the most slowest developing run you could possibly do other than being lined up. Cause if I recall correctly, mine's a little fuzzy this morning, but it was a, it was more of like a pistol gun. It was not a true shotgun. Mm -hmm. So you do at least have the runner going slightly downhill on the handoff on the exchange rather than in true gun where they're lined up to your side it's obviously a sidestep of some variety before they then go to wherever they're assigned. But still, it's a much more slower developing run than going under center, getting a quick exchange when you're going, you know, if you wanted to hand off the ball. But on top of it, 
Why even bother when the quickest exchange and run you can do is have a quarterback under center, then use their mass and the mass of the line in front of them to just push forward immediately and gain at minimum half a yard to a yard. If you have to do that three consecutive times, I like our chances to be able to pick up, pick up the one and three quarters yards that they had or two full yards, whatever it was at that point. I like their chances because Josh Allen is a big, big body where eventually it should be able to win. So I, I just don't understand. It's it's not maybe it is the overthinking it situation. Maybe it is something like that. It's just overall the decision making to go with the play calling that they did and set you behind significantly in a crucial point of the game. Why? Just absolutely why? And and if memory also serves me right here, that play call comes immediately after the scrum as well. So it was funny when when the scrum was all happening. And and by the way, I didn't see the full breakdown. I saw your tweet afterwards. And then I saw the actual video afterwards. I did not see the Dawkins side of stuff. It was very, very hard to see that. Obviously, in person yeah. at the game, you just see everything else happening away from it, which, by the way, if you were at the game, you were questioning why anything was flagged on the bills because you did not mm -hmm. see what was going on there. But overall, I looked over after that all resolved and I'm like, this is where you just pound Josh Allen through and you let your leader and you let the guy who is a good, sure thing to potentially pick up those two yards needed, get in the end zone, get the fans back up in a roar and get things going. It was there. And it's just like you almost you almost took the air out of the stadium with that play call, with that decision. And thankfully, the next play, as you mentioned, the touchdown to Deontay Hardy. It is. It worked out. Everything was fine. Very well designed play, mind I add. But overall, it's just like that decision should still be talked about and looked at as just extremely questionable, overthinking it, whatever you want to call it. That right there is truly a piece where if you are not Dorsey's biggest fan, you have justified reasons to point to and go, this is way maybe why he is not quite that guy for this team, because that is very, very off. I made a comparison to Ken Dorsey on Twitter. I don't know if you saw this or not, but um, I said Ken Dorsey is like the Ken, uh, Kirk Cousins of offensive coordinators where he's not as bad as his detractors think, but he's also not in the elite class and oftentimes leave you wanting more when you stack them up against the elite in the sport. And I will say, Luca, just to keep it as basic as possible, you don't have to watch long when you're watching a Miami Dolphins game or a Philadelphia Eagles game, or a 49ers game, to just see a layup, a throw where you're just asking yourself, how did this receiver get so wide open? It was just a simple pitch and catch, and they have 15 yards of space. Now, I understand some of those teams I just mentioned have outstanding weapons, better weapons than the Bills have, quite honestly. But a lot of it is drawn up to where there are layups for the quarterback. It's pre-snap eye candy with motion and what the bills offense to me oftentimes lacks is layups now the touchdown pass to Deontay Hardy was an example of a very nicely drawn up layup they had some confusion on where Diggs was motioning got two guys drawn away Hardy just walks into the end zone you love to see it but oftentimes to oversimplify this it just feels like this offense doesn't have those easy button plays and that's where okay now we have Dexter Lawrence pushing through the line. Josh Allen has to scramble around, avoid three people, throw it downfield to Dawson Knox. And, and that's where it's like, okay, that was 10 points or 10 yards, 
But boy, that 10 yards felt a lot different than watching Tua drop back two seconds later, dump it over to Waddle, and Waddle just falls down 10 yards. It's It all counts the same in the stat sheet, but man, this is one of those, and I hate this term because I feel like that's where the analytical crowd will get on you. The eye test tells you these are not the same. Yeah, you know what's funny? I like. I don't even know if this is where your head was truly at with this com- conversation, but there's actually a moment to me sitting in the stadium, or I guess a stretch of time, I'll call it, and I'll get into that shortly, where I think it fits this point very, very well. And I made a comment to my friends because it was very noticeable. And at one point, the Giants ran the same play three times in a row with pre-snap motion. What I even dug into it further or looked into it further was it came literally the drive after the Bills were also doing a lot of under center pre-snap motion to success. But the pre-snap motion almost didn't feel natural. It didn't look like it was actually appropriate for the play call. It was quite literally just a separate part of a play that wasn't by design or anything to create something. And it was almost like the drive after Dayball was almost taunting Dorsey and just essentially going, you think you learned that right from me, but let me show how you're really supposed to do it. And it was quite literally that simple and perfect because every time then they ran those pre-snap motion runs under center, they got significant chunks of yardage on the run every time they ran it and they just went back to it. They switched potentially which tackle they were running at, but that was it. And it was between that and then one other thing where Dable clearly figured out, hey, whenever I see this personnel out in the field from Sean McDermott, I'm going to run this play where we have Slayton essentially running a fade streak on top of a running back who's running just a smokescreen to keep the one defender down. It worked to absolute success three times to the point where clearly McDermott said something because you saw massive safety shift over. And those kinds of plays, by the way, don't ever feel like they come from Dorsey. You don't have those things where he quite literally has this money play that is simple, it's effective, and he knows guaranteed it's going to work on a certain look. That doesn't exist with this offense. And I think that was something that did exist with Dayball. And then Dayball even showed that with a Tyrod Taylor under center and the weapons that he had there, he can still make that happen because he just understands his offense and he understands what he's going to be seeing so that at certain moments in time he can go hey this personnel staying out there this personnel's out there run this do this i like this and it's money it's just well thought out well designed play that you know is high success rate even though it's actually big chunk play where normally your high success stuff is you know your wide receiver screens your halfback screen run game things like that he knew that he was going to have these fade streaks to a Darius Slayton up the sideline based on the coverage looks and the personnel he would see across the field. So that's just kind of that next level that you don't see with Dorsey, like what you're talking about, where he does things that you're like, I kind of like this, or it looks okay. The Kirk cousins level thing where it's like, he can perform on any given day. Well, but it doesn't feel smooth enough where you put him in the, I really like this guy, the elite category, whatever you want to call it up there. And it's just something is not there that is not allowing him to get to that next level. And I'm not sure if that will ever come. Unfortunately, I just don't know if it's necessarily bad enough where I'm going to be in the fire Dorsey crowd either at this, especially at this point in time, obviously I'm not in the fire Dorsey crowd, but I will say like, talk to me in January. (laughs) Uh, He had a really bad playoff showing where he had all of his guys healthy, you know, relatively speaking, we know what Josh Allen was dealing with from a UCL standpoint. And uh, he got completely outclassed. By, by the Bengals defensive coordinator, Lou Amarano. His name always just is so struggling for me whenever I'm not in a Bengals week when I've, pr- I've practiced pronouncing it. 
like seven times in a row. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm at a point now where the bills have a Lamborghini quarterback and I, I'd like to see them have a Lamborghini offensive coordinator. And you know, those guys don't grow on trees, but, um, if this season ends in another way where it's like, okay, this offense is regular season, good stat compiler, good. They put up good numbers against the bad teams, but then when they play the good teams, it, it seems like they say struggle. Um, you know, we shall see, but it's again, perspective. The Chiefs scored 18 points on, uh, Monday night on Thursday night. And I know that was a division game. Division games tend to be tight. This was not a division game, but it had similarities to a division game. You have a head coach on the other side that knows this team like a book. So it's not surprising to me that Dable maybe had a good plan in place for how to stop the bills. You mentioned that play where um, there were multiple personal fouls and you didn't have a good view of it. It was wild watching it play out on TV and I, I want to go into this next because there is an issue with Josh Allen's shoulder we have to talk about. Um, so it starts off with a, a regular play. Deion Dawkins is on the ground and he had driven Kelvin Thibodeau into the or Kayvon Thibodeau onto the ground. Thibodeau is on the ground, but he's kicking Dawkins. But you, it's you've seen this a million times in football. The first guy never gets flagged. The second guy is the one who gets flagged. So Dawkins is trying to get up and then Dawkins immediately gets tired of getting kicked. And then he starts being the aggressor. And that's where the first flag comes out. And you're thinking, oh my God, they just got a first down on the three yard lane. They're down by six points. Deion Dawkins is going to get you a 15 yard penalty. So Deion Dawkins draws that flag, but then Dexter Lawrence comes in. I believe it's Dexter Lawrence comes in and starts swinging at Deion Dawkins. So that negates that. And then some, somebody randomly, I may have been Lawrence actually comes in and just Spencer Brown randomly is trying to be the peacekeeper. Like imagine a situation where Spencer Brown is like, Hey guys, let's all count to 10. You know, like so Spencer Brown's the peacekeeper. Things are out of whack, but Spencer Brown's reputation precedes him. The giants see him running toward a fight and like two giants go after Spencer Brown. Now out of nowhere comes a number 17 on the Buffalo bills running as fast as he can shoulder into a De Giants defensive lineman. As you can imagine, it doesn't do a whole lot of damage to the Giants defensive player, but holy cow, like you even had Nikki Smokes from Barstool who was like, I can't stand the Bills, but that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen from Josh Allen. Like Josh Allen is, he will stand up and fight for his guys first and ask questions later. It comes out after the game that Josh Allen was dealing with an injury to his shoulder an injury that was suffered in the second quarter before any of this even happens. When they thought he had a concussion, he was actually favoring his shoulder. Now, I'm not going to bury the lead. X-rays apparently did not show anything. There seems to be no concern based on the update from Rappaport. We will obviously track this as the week goes on. Um, banged up bills said it could be a, an AC joint sprain, which could be pain management shot, you know, shot before the game. Um, something that we've seen Derek Carr play with the last couple of weeks. You just have to hope that this – I think Josh Allen finished a game in 2020 against the, the Raiders in Vegas with this same injury. It could limit him a little bit, but he should be able to play through it as long as it's not worse. But then you go back and think about that scenario I just laid out for you. Josh Allen has a sore shoulder, and he's throwing his shoulder into a defensive lineman. I'm not going to stand here and criticize Josh Allen because I think that's one of those moments where every player on that team is like, that is my quarterback. He has our back and we are going to run through a brick wall for him. But I think it just says something about his mentality where it's like, I don't care about my throwing shoulder at this point. I am going to go stand up for my guy. Luca, you mentioned that you didn't have a real good view of that. I can imagine in the stadium, 
based on the views you guys had, it was kind of like, no, wait a minute. All we've seen are Giants players throwing punches. Why is this offsetting? I, I imagine that was a pretty loud situation in the stadium. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it, essentially in stadium view for anyone that wasn't there, because that's the one like moments like that, Josh, are really when you appreciate TV because it gives you a different perspective. So uh, immediately that was one that I kind of footnote cataloged in the back. I knew videos would be out there. Of course, I think I even got an ESPN uh, you know, update that they posted a video of it naturally as it's in a boring game. That was kind of to me the first highlight of the game. Um, and that definitely elevated it a little bit. Although the chippiness was there from the get-go, so it shouldn't have been a surprise to the refs. I'll tell you that. And Dayball, credit or whatever you want to say to him, he clearly had those boys fired up, and he said something to all of them that that game, you knew in the stadium, I'm sure you knew at home, you know on Twitter, like that game, the, the Giants were really playing up to that game, and Dayball probably took it very personally that game, which, as he should. Anyways, I... Not that I think Dable got wronged out here in Buffalo. I'm just saying, like, it's one of those games where you want to show kind of yeah. your, human nature. Your, right. Naturally, competitive, everything. So regardless, in the stadium during the scrum, yeah, you're just seeing all of that. When the Josh Allen thing happens, we are not aware of any shoulder injury. I didn't even know the shoulder thing was a concern until I was sitting in my car back to try to go home. And my buddy, like, points at me to, to roll down the window and as I'm sitting in the driver's seat and I'm like, what? And he goes, Josh Allen just got his shoulder scan. I'm like, can this game get any worse? <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Because, yeah, in the stadium, nothing was really said. But everyone believed that Josh Allen getting rushed off, running to the blue tent, coming back was a concussion concussion check. Shout out Kyle Allen for your two snaps. Nice job. Um, overall, though, it was just I wasn't even aware of that. What I will say is this, that play to me, not that it should be a surprise to anyone, is the absolute validation that Josh Allen sees red. Josh mm -hmm. Allen is an emotional, and <clears throat> as someone that also can see red in competitive nature, I fully understand, not maybe to that athletic level because I'm not his size and everything like that. I wouldn't be as confident against 300-pound men like he is. But um, when you see red, you're not thinking about the repercussions. You're not thinking about your injuries. You're not thinking about how, oh, my ankle's a little banged up right now. You're just thinking about one thing and one thing only, and it's defending your boys, doing your job, getting getting everything cleaned up by any means necessary. And if you're seeing your Spencer Brown, who backs you up all the time, getting mm -hmm. absolutely bullied by big boys in the corner of the end zone, completely away from the scrum, you're going to come in there and you're going to do some dirty work. And I think to all of this too, I'm sure the team was understanding that he may have had a shoulder injury. I would hope to uh, think that the coaching staff would at least make everyone aware of what's going on with your quarterback, just in case. Um, they're like, hey, maybe he's dealing with some. You saw Daquan Jones tweet out about it. Oh, that was a beautiful tweet. Tweeted out afterward, following up with it, things like that. And it's like, you know, every one of those guys are absolute killers for number 17 on this roster. And there's no better place to be separating football aside, all of that stuff. There's no better place to be than having a top end quarterback where all individuals on that team will literally take a bullet for and understand that if needed, he also has your back because you just see evidence time and time again. I'm not trying to say that it's necessarily the smartest thing to do like what he did again, but I'm also not going to criticize it because you're just not thinking about that stuff at that point. And Josh Allen is just trying to be there for his guy and it's or guys. And mm -hmm. it's just when emotions are going crazy like that and the officials are just not willing to kind of step in until it's already lost and gone. 
you just got to do what you got to do and you'll live with the repercussions and whatever it is afterwards. Let the adrenaline wear off on Monday morning and not worry about it on Sunday night. You know, there, there are so many reasons why it's frustrating that the 13 seconds game ended the way it did. But one of the, one of them is there was a podcast with Taiwan Jones on there. And before the game, he was saying like, I've never experienced this in my NFL career. We're heading out to Arrowhead to take on this team in a super loud Arrowhead environment. Our quarterback is breaking us down as we're getting ready to head out of the tunnel. He's looking at every player in the eyes and he's like, boys, we're walking into the lion's den. And I don't know about you, but I choose fucking violence. Let's go win this thing. And Taiwan Jones says every hair on his body stood up at that point. And when your quarterback looks you in the eye and he's leading the charge for choosing violence, he's like, I've never heard a quarterback say that. And he's like, you would have had to kill me to get me off the field that day. And you saw the way the bills responded in that game. And I think, you know, another minor reason why it's just a shame that game doesn't go down in bill's history as a win. Okay. Um, we've talked a little bit about Brian Dable. I, I do. I, I tell you, Luca, there's a part of me that wishes we were giants chat. Cause this would be a fun game to analyze from the Giants' side. Uh, I think Brian Dable gets a lot of credit one for uh, having a game plan that kept us close. And two, he was coach of the year last year. And I think a lot of bills fans, remember him fondly and you should he was the offensive coordinator for a very fun the beginning of a very fun era of bills football uh but i think last night was an awful game for brian dable i I think there were multiple instances where um his team looked completely out of sorts and you have to put it on the head coach the end of the half clock management was one of the worst sequences you can imagine in a game that by two and two quarters in you can tell is going to be a low scoring game and points are of a premium the Giants are two touchdown underdogs. They're up six, nothing. They get the ball coming out of halftime. Kyer Elam gets the pass interference in the end zone, which I'm going to time out on that and say, I don't hate that play by Kyer Elam in theory because he's holding the Giants have the ball. I think at the 15 yard line, um, they're running out of time. They don't have timeouts at that situation you don't mind your defensive back holding because you will trade five yards for guaranteeing the play doesn't go in their favor because at that point, a five-yard penalty doesn't hurt you. Where Kyrie Elam screwed up is he held on for like a split second too long. The ball was released by Tyrod Taylor. It goes from holding to pass interference, and now instead of being a five-yard, you're playing from the 10-yard line. It's on the one-yard line, and now they're they're like at point-blank range, and they're probably going to score a touchdown. So I don't mind the play in theory by Elam, but he has to – execute it better and that has been the story of his career thus far in the nfl but uh, i don't want to run that back too much the giants have the ball at the one yard line there's 12 seconds left and at that point in time you know you can get off two plays uh, as long as you're passing as long as the clock's not running and tyrod taylor checks to a run and saquon barkley gets stuffed and they have no shot to get any points and they just cost themselves points now to brian dayball's credit he made it pretty clear to both um the the sideline reporter, I believe it's Melissa Stark, um, and the New York media after the game of like, no, 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 I called a pass. Tyrod Taylor checked to it, which questionable decision by Brian Dable to throw his quarterback under the bus like that, but it is what it is. I get it. Um, and just the all-around lack of communication there by the Giants in that spot to cost themselves points was mind-numbing. It was great from our standpoint because it was like, wow, the Bills just dodged a bullet. It reminded me last week of Jacksonville when the Bills get that strip sack fumble by A.J. Epinesa on Lawrence at the end of the half, it kind of felt like a mulligan for the Bills. Then you fast forward to the third quarter, and this was the most egregious play by by Brian Dable. The Giants have a fourth and inches at the Bills' 11. The Bills have already taken the lead at 7-6, to 
But on this drive, when you're thinking, okay, the Bills take the lead, we're going to reset. We, we got this game. The Giants are terrible. We're going to remind them who their daddy is. Saquon Barkley comes out, rushes for 19 yards. Then he rushes for 37 yards. Then he rushes for seven yards. It's all on the same exact trap run play. I think Luca referenced this earlier where it's the same exact play and they are just daring the Bills to stop it. And now you get to fourth and inches on the 11-yard line. You're a one-in-four football team. You're a 14-point underdog, and you're down by one point, and you just saw Josh Allen wake up and go down the field on your offense. And at that point, I think you have to assume that the Bills' offense are going to get more points today. And Brian Dayball elects to kick the field goal on fourth and inches, despite the fact that his running back and running game is cooking, and despite the fact that the Bills' offense looked like it had woken up. Ultimately, it, they end up losing the game by five. Um, but you know, more points there, they're in field goal range. They don't need the touchdown at the end. It's just all around. I thought it was a bad look for Brian Dable. And I thought he absolutely turtled in a spot that was just begging for him to be aggressive. Yeah. Um, I'll start with the latter first. Yeah. The, the pre pre motion jet sweep trap run that they absolutely diced us with were quite literally the same calls that Dorsey was trying to do on the previous drive with the bills, but where Dable did have a nice design where that motion truly was designed to shift linebackers to different assignments and shift coverage a different way to then work for the run. The only reason that there was some sort of success with Dorsey's was because James Cook bounced one outside and things of that nature was happening. It was like, it wasn't because the play design and the run was actually very well designed. It was actually just because you had a superior athlete that found luckily a decent lane to go elsewhere. Um, the not going for it and kicking the field goal, mind blowing sitting there and seeing that I was stunned. I'm like, no way. When you are seeing Saquon Barkley legitimately gash up the bills defense at that point in time where it, I was like, this game's old. Like that was the moment where my head's going, the strength of this offense, the strength of this team is starting to show and we are getting gashed on the ground and now they're at a fourth and in inches where i mean crap just run a basic power run play and i'm assuming the way things were going they were going to pick up those inches that they needed dayball definitely turtled in that moment what i will say is this i actually this is a weird thing to say because i'm normally with you on this point i love dayball throwing tyrod taylor under the bus because really? it's it's a situation where it's like i asked you to do a job you are not an individual in any sort of standing to make the change that you did understanding where the game is at that point. And you took it upon yourself to do something that is actually from our experience out of your character to then do that. And it cost us points that absolutely should be called out. If you make a massive error where you are going against your nature and it's not, you are in no position to do so. If you understand the situation, you should be called out for it. It, the world should know that, hey, I understand what the job at hand was. I gave him the tools to hopefully be as successful as he possibly could. And this bleep screwed it up. And it's like, get called out. Like, I, I think accountability is being shown in that moment in time. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I, I justifiably yelling at him going up the tunnel, justifiably called him out on TV. I love that from individuals. I think accountability is something you don't see enough. I, I'm not always for the throw under the bus, 
But that is a particular moment where I am. I, I didn't know that he did it on you know TV and just straight up said, I called it, Tyrod checked, and that was a bad play. That was a bad decision because, yes, that's quite literally – it is what it is. It's the truth. It's real. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I couldn't believe it. I will say this. When that was happening, when the, you know, nine seconds left or whatever it actually was, I can't remember. It was, I, I believe if I remember, it was towards our end zone too. We're sitting there and I was like, man, they might have that inside run if they really want it, but they wouldn't dare try to do it, would they? Because we were playing kind of a wide split on the interior line for being in the po- at the point of field that we were. And I was like, I wonder, you know, I don't know if they will, but I'm very curious. And then they actually, like we know, of course, Tyrod checks to it. They do it. We luckily make a play, stuff them. And yeah, there's no chance of you getting a a spike on that situation to get a field goal. And it was incredible to me that Tyrod had the nuts to to do that. But at the same time, bud, know your job, know Mm -hmm. who you are, understand your limitations. You've done it your entire career. This is not the moment to do that. I I don't know what was going on in his head, but um, I think that was a massive turning point in this game, even though it was still only six, nothing where maybe that finally kind of, that was the first step. I'm assuming there was a halftime talk, Josh, obviously where that was kind of the slap of reality to the bills and just like, Hey, we just got off the hook massively here. Let's turn that into some success moving forward. Yep, they absolutely did get let off the hook massively. And, um, you know, I, I understand people that say, oh, it's Saquon Barkley, but it's it's all about risk-reward. If if there's one second left and you're electing to go for it, then do what you want. Like, Saquon Barkley is probably your best play at that point. In fact, you could actually draw a direct comparison to the last play of the game if they would have handed to Saquon Barkley and gotten stuffed. And you're just like, oh, well, they took their shot with Saquon Barkley. There, there's no play to be had after that. It's not the fact that the play didn't work. It's the fact that the play didn't work and it cost you two other shots at the end zone that made that play so egregious. A couple more things I want to get into quickly, Luca, before we get into our game balls and game checks. YOLO Josh Allen. That's a guy that you know we, we've been hearing a lot about since the Jets game is we're trying to coach this out of him. We don't want him to feel like he has to do everything on his own. Uh, don't make those unnecessary throws. I think there is a very real chance that the Bills lose this game if YOLO Josh Allen doesn't show up, that touchdown pass to Quentin Morris was one of the more special plays you'll ever see at the quarterback position. I've watched so many replays of that, knowing it's going to be a touchdown and still fearing it's going to be picked off. The window he put that through is insane. The fact that he did it with a sore shoulder is insane. And the fact that he threw it to Quentin Morris in that situation is insane. And it worked and the bills scored and the bills are are winners today. And my thing about that is I don't want him to stay hidden for so long. I think YOLO Josh Allen, Chris Collinsworth said this on the broadcast last night multiple times. And the first time he said it, it kind of annoyed me because it felt like a shot at Josh Allen. But the more I processed it, the more I started to agree with it. There was a play. It was a play where the Giants rush got through. Allen scrambles around and he finds digs downfield. And Chris Collinsworth is like, that is why the Bills have been in the playoffs the last few years. Is a play has nothing going on. Josh Allen scrambles around, makes somebody miss, and looks downfields, wears digs, boom, first down, and it's impossible to stop. And I thought like, oh, well, you're not giving the Bills credit for being a traditional offense. But I honestly do think that there is some truth to that because as much as we like to blame Josh Allen when things go poorly in that mode, that YOLO mode, YOLO Josh Allen is right way more than he's wrong. And it's what makes him an explosive playmaker. And it's what makes this offense explosive. 
And the fact that we haven't seen that as much this year could be a reason why the offensive numbers are down a little bit these last couple of weeks. And I don't want that to be coached out of him. And he showed up in the fourth quarter last night when the bills absolutely needed him and got the game to the finish line. So I don't know what my question necessarily is here, Luca. What's what's the balance that you would like to see between YOLO Josh Allen and control Josh Allen? Uh, because I do feel like that had, had YOLO Josh Allen not put, in his, put his cape on last night and decided to stay as Clark Kent, we'd be talking about a very different outcome. Never tame a Mustang. Mm-hmm. Let him be what he is. You live with the bad when you get all the good. When it's a beautiful beast out there, there are going to be negatives. But... If you let's say it's 50 50, you're going to get 50% good and you're going to get 50% bad. Let me tell you what that ceiling is. That ceiling's Brett Favre. <laughs> That's what that is. That's the absolute ceiling. And I don't think there's anyone out there when it comes to a football perspective that complains about Brett Favre. And quite literally, everyone's just like, hey, you live with the bad because boy, do you get some incredible good. And Josh Allen is that guy. Josh Allen will always be that guy. The touchdown, by the way, it was on the far end from us. Watching that develop from our vantage point, I will say, did not make it look nearly as risky as it was. Mm-hmm. I, I will say that we had a high enough vantage point where I was like, that was just a nice throw. But then seeing it from, you know, the perspectives that you can see on camera, I was like, holy bleep. <laughs> um, but it wasn't even the most impressive play to me. I don't think I don't think this is the same play. I don't know. It's all meshing together. You may have referenced it, too. I, I can't even remember at this point. But. The play that it's like, this is Josh Allen. And it's the one where I looked over to everyone I was sitting with going, thank God we have Josh Allen. Because no other individual. I don't even know if, I mean, I'll say Mahomes could probably make it. I'll say Hurts could probably make it. Stuff like that. It's just, it's one of those things where you should be little surprised that Josh Allen's making this because it's classic. Was, it was a play action. Delvin Cook completely misses his blitz pickup chip. Completely. And like, almost turns around going, sorry. And Josh just, yeah, Josh just makes absolutely something out of this play that deserved a 10 yard loss, whatever it would have been like Josh Allen should have gotten rocked. And all of a sudden he just swings out to the right, finds whoever it was downfield for, I think a 12 yard gain or whatever it is. But boy, that play right there was just like an absolute. This is why you don't tame Josh Allen. This is why you just go, Hey, go with your gut, go with your instincts. Yes. We are probably going to have some 50-yard interceptions. I'm okay with as long as it doesn't literally like stack up like it did in the Jets game, which I feel like is the only time we've truly ever seen a game for 60 minutes have the outcome that it did with that version of Josh Allen. You're going to have those moments. I mean, technically, there was one of those moments in the Washington game. Just no one talks about it because it was one moment in an absolute dominant performance. But when you have a comfortable, relaxed, playing to his gut, playing to his instincts, playing to know how he knows he can play Josh Allen. The highs are just out of this world and he can do anything. He truly can. Josh Allen is one of three to four guys in this league at the quarterback position. Maybe ever. No, I'm not going to say ever. Like, look, there's some impressive guys. Aaron Rodgers, obviously in his heyday, stuff like that. But he's one of those guys that truly can do everything. He can throw any throw. He can go anywhere and hit any target on the field, no matter what he's doing outside of his arm. He can do it. So just let him do it. You do not tame a wild Mustang. You do not do that. Let it be the true, beautiful beast that it is. And just live with the negatives when they come. Because overall, I'm with you. I don't think it's a true 50-50. I think more likely than not, you are going to get the good out of it. 
and he can pull you out of bad games and stuff with those moments like he did last night. And that's just an example where it's like, hey, at the end of the day, you shouldn't rely on that. That shouldn't be your offense. But I do believe there should be a message that's almost opposite of potentially what they're telling them. It's not necessarily doing this in the run game, but in the pass game, buddy, just do whatever you see. Feel it out. Throw the balls. Do whatever it is you trust yourself to do. Don't try to think that you need to be safe. Don't try to think that you need to make the quote-unquote right play. The right play to you should be the play that you think is best in your eyes, in the moment, in your gut. That is the Josh Allen we love. That is the Josh Allen we know that can play at incredible heights. Like, as you mentioned, I can't believe I'm even going to say it, the 13-second game, if it wasn't the outcome that it was, that is the peak Josh Allen of, hey, just feel the game and just do what you do best because the highs are out of this world. Oh, he was on a heater in that playoff run. Um, So you mentioned the Jets game very quickly. I do think it's possible we over we overblew how bad Josh Allen was against the Jets, and maybe we just need to start saying maybe the Jets are as good as they say they are defensively because Josh Allen had one touchdown, three interceptions against the Jets. Patrick Mahomes had one touchdown, two interceptions against the Jets. Luca and I were doing this post-game show during that game, and he kept stopping the show saying, Patrick Mahomes looks awful tonight. And then um, Jalen Hurts yesterday, one touchdown, three interceptions. So three of the premier quarterbacks in the sport combined for – three touchdowns, eight interceptions, and two losses to the Jets. And yesterday, the Jets were playing without DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner. So there is something about that defense that gives the quarterbacks a comfort level of, I can make this play only to find out that they can't. Okay, the last thing I want to get into, Luca, before game balls and game checks is, all offseason, the narrative was, we need more weapons for Josh Allen. It feels like it's Stefan Diggs and everybody else. Um, I think this is why my frustration with the Dalton Kincaid usage and execution so far has been so high. It's not because I don't think Dalton Kincaid is an excellent player. In fact, I think he has the ceiling to be a very excellent player. Uh, But it's because of a game like last night where Dalton Kincaid is not even playing. He's still in concussion protocol. And the the Bills' passing distribution is Stefan Diggs, 10 receptions, 100 yards. Beautiful. Excellent. Okay, what everybody else do? Oh, Gabe Davis, three catches, 21 yards, and a fumble. Dawson Knox, three catches, 17 yards, and a play we all remember where he could have closed the game out but didn't. Quentin Morris is the next one. He's Quentin Morris, folks. One catch, 15 yards, touchdown. And then after that, Khalil Shakir, one catch, 13 yards. Deontay Hardy, one catch, three yards. We are staring down the barrel of unless Dalton Kincaid takes a leap that I still think is very possible and realistic of another season of if it's not Stefan Diggs, who the heck is it? Where are you at with the surrounding cast around Josh Allen, maybe setting Dalton Kincaid to the side right now concerned. I mean, it's, it's kind of the similar concern that we had last year and years past where it, it truly is. I mean, I brought it up 16 targets to digs. When I first saw slash heard that I legitimately thought that was an error. I know he had 10 catches for hundred yards. Cause I made a, I made a joke where I was like, I love numerology and that's a beautiful <laughs> numerology stat line. But I was like, I, it does. It doesn't show you the targets in stadium. I don't believe, or at least I didn't see them there. Um, stuff like that, which also, by the way, we're getting game balls, game checks. My game check really wants to be the graphic statistician person in the stadium. Ooh. Holy crap. They sucked. It was Josh Allen was still like two of three for 17 yards, like mid second quarter. And I'm like, look, I know it's a bad game. I'm pretty sure that's not a stat line right now. Like, what are we doing? And Tyrod stats didn't exist. I was, <laughs> I digress. Um, yeah, the, the weapons conversation is a true one. It's one that will probably continue to be brought up at this point in time when you can get out of games with 
kind of the lack of production outside of digs like they do. I, I think those are things that ultimately become forgotten unless it continues. This feels like something that should hopefully not continue. This feels like it's something I want to really give credit to Wink Martindale. I, I think from start to finish, for the most part, other than the improvised plays and a couple flash plays here and there, um, there was clearly an understanding, probably with the help of Dayball, on what Josh likes to do, what the offense likes to do, recognizing certain things because, you know, obviously there's a lot of marriage when it comes to what Dorsey tries to do, I imagine, and then what, you know, Dayball did with this offense. And then Dayball, of course, understands Josh Allen probably better than Dorsey, to be quite honest. Um, it, it's There was a clear understanding that, hey, Wink, let's not actually send the house 80% of the time, but let's show it. 80% of the time. Let's let's make them really have to make that second choice decision, make them think twice about it, whatever it is, and then that could probably help us stay on the front foot because maybe they will be a little bit more conservative with their play calling, which will then feed into their hands if you're not actually sending seven or six or whatever it actually is on a blitz situation. And I do believe that truly is what we saw for the majority of that game last night. Wink was showing and disguising blitz a lot. Dorsey was seeing this because it's understandable because that's what Wink does. That's his calling card. Calling more conservative plays because you imagine space and opportunities will be there as long as you can get the ball out quick, but then the space and plays are not actually there due to the coverage being more present out there. You have Diggs doubled up a lot more, although even then, Diggs did get wide open and Josh Allen then missed those opportunities, which... That one, man, you got to hit that ball, Josh. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Holy mackerel. Like that, that's one. I don't know if they saw, if it happened on TV or if it happened in stadium. I don't believe it did because I don't think it's actually a narrative, but that's one where I imagine there was one camera staring at the sideline, looking at Diggs and Allen going, please, please blow up. We need this. Like, I don't know if that's the worst way. (laughs) So um, anyways, I I just think the weapons conversation is absolutely justified. I just also don't know if this game's the perfect example for it other than the stats itself, just because I do believe there truly was a very good understanding on the Giants' sideline when it comes to the defense on what they needed to do to truly hinder and make the life of the Bills and Josh Allen very, very difficult. And the only re- the only player to step up because their talent is just that good other than Josh Allen is Stefan Diggs. If it wasn't for Stefan Diggs, though, tonight, Oh my goodness. <laughs> this <laughs> offense would be so bad. They would have never even sniffed the end zone all of the four, all of accordingly. Like I don't even think James Cook breaks 50 yards rushing because what else were the Bills going to do? So it's just like one of those things where it's like thank you Stefan Diggs for being Stefan Diggs and being the elite wide receiver you are. Just put this as not a, another example on why you're a top 5 elite wide receiver in this league because even when you have all the cards stacked against you, even when your offense isn't going well, you are still Stefan Diggs. You are still the man. You are him. Props to you, man. Like, thank God you were there. So I I do think the weapons thing, I think Kincaid can still step up. I do believe that, you know, Knox, I'll give him the asterisks of potentially the risk. Quentin Morris, to all his credit, does what he can with that. He's there for Josh, and he catches the one target that he needed to in a very crucial situation when you can at least have depth guys who are not normally in those positions still come up big. I'll give the credit where credit is due. Deontay Hardy, one target. It's a touchdown play. It's a well-designed play, but it's a touchdown, and you could easily screw that up. We've seen players in this league do that, um, so on and so forth. So it's it's not a great spot to be, but I'll just say this. It could have just been one of those off nights overall just because the Giants' defense was just truly one step ahead all the time. 
Speaking of the Giants defense, I'm watching now a replay of Josh Allen flying in and, and hitting Bobby Okereke. And it is, there's just so much going on in this little seven second video. So Spencer Brown gets shoved to the ground by Leonard Williams and Leonard Williams is laying on top of him, getting ready to swing a punch. And right before Leonard Williams jumps on top of him, Josh Allen comes flying into the screen and shoulders into Bobby Okereke. And there's two different reactions here that are both equally hilarious. One, Osiris Torrance is running into the screen. He's watching Leonard Williams jump onto Spencer Brown and Osiris Torrance is running full speed, ready to just cold cock uh, Leonard Williams and defend his guy. He sees him throwing the punch, but you can tell Osiris Torrance sees Josh Allen flash in front of him and get into it with a linebacker. And he's like, is that 17? And he just goes, whoop. And it's like, you're good, Spencer Brown. I'm sure you can handle it. And like, he just takes off after Okereke. And that's hilarious. And Okereke's reaction is actually equally hilarious because Josh Allen shoulders him. He has no idea who it is. It's a player in red. He grabs him like he's getting ready to fight him. And he's like, you're the quarterback. And he just is like, let's just, let, we're good. Like, I'm not going to fight Josh Allen. We're, we're good. That's how so you get ejected. <laughs> yeah, There's probably a level of respect on him. He's like, oh, okay, respect, buddy. Like they just stood there. <laughs> the whole thing is hilarious. Um, good for Josh Allen. Good for Osiris Torrance. I'm sure Spencer Brown was even like, no, go save Josh Allen. But, um, you know, what you love to see all around. All right, Luca. Um, defense played well, only gave up nine points. Didn't let the other team in the end zone. Again, was not the highest quality of opponent. They're playing without Andrew Thomas. They lost their backup left tackle early in the game. They're playing without their starting center. They had Justin Pugh, who they picked up off the street to play guard for them, playing left tackle for much of the game. <laughs> wow. They had a backup quarterback in the game. But I do think it could even be another week before how good this defense is, is really known because New England is not a high-quality opponent either coming up next week. We shall see. But so far, they have passed the test without Matt Milano and Daquan Jones, even dating back to how they played last week against Jacksonville after those guys had left. Let's talk about game balls and game checks. This is our favorite segment of the week. Game ball is the the team MVP. Game check is the player that should hand in his game check for his poor performance against the New York Giants. Luca, I will turn it over to you. Who gets your game ball for their performance I, in the 14 to nine victory? My bad. Uh, right. <laughs> um, it's interesting because during the game, obviously, I just naturally think about this because it's a thing we do weekly. And I was like, man, there are actually a few guys that stood out a little bit. Um, real quick, you did talk about defense. I do want to say this as well. Um, in the crunch time, in the seconds left in the game, seeing Leonard Floyd and Kingsley Jonathan out there in key edge positions and stuff like that was odd, to say mm -hmm. the least, and really didn't understand it. And then all of a sudden it got to the, you know, the penalty untimed down, whatever you want to call it. And then they go Shaq Lawson, Gregory Rousseau, just to kind of contain those edges. But it's like, Hey, let's just have them out there when they're on the 10 too, because I don't mind Shaq Lawson and Gregory Rousseau out that right. out there. Kingsley Jonathan. If you want Leonard Floyd out there at that time, that's fine. So go Rousseau and Floyd. Like what? I don't understand that regardless. Mm -hmm. uh, back to game checks and game balls. Uh, my game ball situation was an interesting one because I, I think there was a lot of talk about a few guys and stuff like that. And it, I thought there would be a better stat line to really back this up too. And, and I, it almost questioned it a little bit. I would love to go digs and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I think credit more needs to be due to the bills defense on this game. I, I think overall, even though it's not, you know, a, a great opponent when it comes to talent wise, you know, it's Tyrod Taylor, as you mentioned, a lot of offensive line injury situation going on, you know, the, the weapons that the giants have, they're okay at best uh, outside of Saquon Barkley, 
um, leave a lot to be desired. It's not an elite offense that they shut down, but still they did the job that they did. They never allowed this opponent in the end zone, which in the NFL, that is always impressive to not allow an opposing offense in the end zone for 60 minutes. Doesn't matter who you're playing. So at the end of the day, like there were a few guys on the defensive side that I definitely wanted to give credit to. And I think a lot of individuals might think I'm going one way, but there's conversation about another guy and Dorian Williams to me is the game ball. Like stepping up this is your first big time. Look, you're starting in that Matt Milano role. And was he perfect? No. Do I need him to be perfect? Or can I at least be reasonable with him understanding the situation he finds himself in? No, I don't need him perfect. I just need him to be there and be effective, not be useless, not be the trail Bernard we saw in the Jets game last year where it's like, oh my God, this guy's a liability out there. Just give me something else, which by the way, trail Bernard props to you, dude. Like you are really figuring it out and you are really working out. Thank you for making both of us eat our words from earlier mm-hmm. this year um, or this year, I should say, since it was preseason. Um, Dorian Williams, though, I, I want to give him the game ball. I think he deserves it. He was flying out there. He made a couple crucial tackles as he did. Um, stuff like that. He he is definitely someone where I am seeing what I liked a little bit about him. And then also on top of it, I see why they did pull the trigger on him in the third round. And it's kind of like one of those things. He is still very rough around the edges. There is a lot that he can still work on, but at least him, he's not playing cautious. He's not playing like the game is too fast for him. He's almost too fast, which mm-hmm. you're a young, hungry player like him. I'm okay with that. I will let you fly around like a crazy bullet in this, you know, in the linebacker core. And Hey, if you whiff on a tackle here or there, if you miss because you overcommitted, you saw it too quick. That's fine. If you're not seeing it quick enough, that's where I have problems. That is not the case. I thought he did a great job that uh, last night. So overall my game ball goes to Dorian Williams. I like it. I think he passed the test. I was very happy to see that he got the majority of the work in the Matt Milano role. I was worried that they would go to their old reliable and Tyrell Dotson. And I think at this point in time, we have to give the Bills credit. They are, whether it's because it's earned or whether it's because they just want to see the opportunity, they are going with youth. They went with Benford over Dane Jackson to start the year. Uh, They went with Osiris Torrance over Ryan Bates. And now they're going with Dorian Williams over Tyrell Dotson after going with Terrell Bernard over Tyrell Dotson. In almost every situation, they have been proven to be correct. I thought Dorian Williams, his speed absolutely pops. His athleticism is great. There, I think he maybe was one of the um, the guys on that drive where Saquon had a couple big runs. He'd like to have that drive back. But like Lucas said, it wasn't a perfect game. But we don't need him to be perfect. And every snap he gets is so valuable. I thought Chris Collinsworth, again, last night was like, this Bills defense is good right now. But come January, when you have um, you know, 40, 50 snaps a week for Dorian Williams and Terrell Bernard working together, this defense has a chance to be really, really special. Um, I'm going to go with his running mate, Terrell Bernard. I thought Terrell Bernard for the first week without having one, his running mate, Matt Milano, two, his personal protector in Daquan Jones, who keeps the linebackers clean. I thought he was absolutely special last night. Um, I, I First of all, I love, I love how demonstrative he is pre-snap. He is telling guys where to go. And look, that, I know it's an eye roll. What middle linebacker doesn't do that? But that is not any regular huddle. There's Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde out there. You have Jordan Phillips, Ed Oliver, and Von Miller out there. And Terrell Bernard, who is a first-year starter, a second-year player, is being demonstrative. He's being assertive. He's saying, no, you go here, you go here. And there were multiple times, Luca, that he like walked over to Dorian Williams and said, I need you to go another yard out, like shoved him into position. It wasn't like egregious, but it was like, I know where you're supposed to be. 
he he understood he had a rookie next to him and he needed to make sure he was where he was supposed to be. I love the command. And then that that first drive the Giants had after the drive with the big Saquon runs, he just blew up the first attempt in the backfield. I love everything I'm seeing out of Terrell Bernard, and I am super excited to have been wrong on that pick. All right, Luca, with the good, we got to have some bad. Luckily, unlike a lot of Bills wins, there is quite a bit to choose from here. Who gets your game check for this victory over the Giants? So to me, this pick is easy. Um, it I don't know. It's I'll just start this way. The way I'm going to talk before I lead into this, it might sound like because of things I've said earlier, this is going to be Dawson Knox. This is not Dawson Knox. I don't know what was going on before the game. I don't know what was going on during the game, but there was clearly something off with this individual. There was clearly something off with this individual to the point where I don't know how much Sean McDermott even trusted them or anyone trusted them to the point where they could do their job to the standard and expectations that we have of them week in, week out. And it was concerning. So I got into the stadium pretty late. Like I luckily did not miss kickoff. Although boy, I will say at one point I was very nervous and I don't miss kickoffs. Josh, when I go to a game, I make sure I'm there. I was very nervous. So I didn't get to see warmups or anything of that nature, which I normally like to, cause I like to see if anything's off, whatever's going on. Um, but there was a decision early on where the bills punted and everyone's like, what are we punting for? Like, why are we punting from, I believe it was the 37, 38. 38. Yeah. And at that point in time, friends were like, why are we punting? Why are we punting? And I legitimately out of like, I, I don't know what it was in my brain because again, I didn't see warmups or anything, but I'm like, there is clearly something wrong with Bass because you kick that field goal any given day. There's no wind problem. There's no elements that you should be concerned with. If you're not telling Tyler Bass to kick a field goal, which he has kicked longer for this team for with ease at times, something's off. Then the halftime comes. And you're watching those warmups and I'm sitting there watching bass and he missed five consecutive practice kicks, wow. two from one hash, three from the other. And that's when I really went, okay, something's wrong. I don't know if it's injury related because there's nothing said. I don't believe about that, but something was there, which by the way, then credit to McDermott that one time where he was like, look, if it's not all there, I value field position over potentially giving them the ball in a more juicy situation you didn't understand that at the time. And it feels weird to say, because I really go against that thought process because points are always more valuable than field position. At the end of the day, you need points to win, especially in a game of which it was going the way that it was. Um, Tyler Bass is getting my game check. And I, again, I don't know what it was, but for a guy who's always been money for a guy that you yourself have even said, I don't think he gets enough credit and he, you know, he needs more credit thrown his way. Last night was a very off night through and through for him. Very odd. Luckily, he hit the two extra points that he did. But boy, would it have been nice to have that one late field goal that he missed to then be up eight, where even if they did get that touchdown in the end zone, they still have to go for two to tie it in that situation. Uh, or, or sorry, never mind. I'm doing my math wrong because there was a whole conversation about should we have gone for two to then force that situation. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> I was getting that mixed up, but overall Tyler Bass, man, like game check. Hopefully it's a one-off for you. Hopefully whatever was going on was just a one week thing. Maybe, maybe you got delayed jet lag coming back now stateside and your leg is just not working. Whatever it is, please get that figured out. Cause we need you moving forward, man. But that was a bad night for him and he deserves this game check award. Yeah. It's funny because both of his kicks he missed were 53 yards and if the Bills had lost, I'm just telling you all right now, 
the Giants wearing their 90s throwbacks, having Tyler Bass miss two kicks wide right would have been a talking point that once people picked up on it would have never been let go. So I'm glad it didn't happen. And I'm with you in the spirit of game check. It doesn't mean this player is awful. It means on this night, they could have not shown up and the result would have not been different. And assuming that the Bills could have just had Sam Martin kick extra points, the um, the result would not have been different without Tyler Bass. He he had an off night. Hopefully it was just an off night. You never know what these people are going through. Luca's um, observation at halftime certainly speaks volumes. And you just have to hope he was maybe under the weather or whatever. Who knows? Um, that's a good pick. I like that. I am going to go with, I need to get the stat line up here. I'm going to go with Gabe Davis. And look, I'm not trying to pile on. I, I think you could easily go Dawson Knox, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because when he and Josh Allen were at the Sabres game, you could see he had the brace on his hand. Luca mentioned that he didn't get his normal snap count. I think that was pretty evident when you saw guys like David Edwards and Quentin Morris getting a lot of snaps at tight end. David Edwards was even going in motion and, and blocking, which was pretty hilarious. Um, but you know, on a night where the Giants, we talked about their secondary, Dory Jackson is not having a good season, and Deontay Banks is a rookie. They aren't a team that pressures the quarterback very well. Um, and you figure that they're going to put all their attention on Stefan Diggs. You need Gabe Davis to do more than three for 21. Have we had a chance to go back and watch the All-22? No. Have I had a chance to even go back and rewatch the TV copy? No. So there's probably things in here I'm forgetting. But at the end of the day, the issue with Gabe Davis continues to be the issue with Gabe Davis. It's like he keeps having these stinker weeks where you wonder if he was even on the field. And then maybe next week against New England, he'll go for 150 and two touchdowns before going three or four more stinker weeks. At the end of the year, you'll look at it you'll be like, oh, wow, 800 yards and, and nine touchdowns. Who wouldn't want that from their wide receiver, too? But it's the consensus consistency, unlike what I just had in that sentence, that's <laughs> lacking from his game. And so Gabe Davis is going to get my game check award. For that one, um, I before we get out of here, Luca, I do want to mention Damian Harris. He left the game in an ambulance. It was a very scary scene. Tim Graham had a, a pretty chilling tweet saying that Damian Harris found out last week he's going to have his first child. And, you know, there was a player in the locker room that said, what if he can't hold his baby after this? Reports so far seem to be promising. He has movement in his arms and legs. He did flash the crowd a thumbs up when he was getting on the stretcher. Um, and a lot of the stretcher stuff it, we, we always want to reiterate is, you know, they are being on the overly cautious side of cautious. So a lot of times when they strap him down to a stretcher, it's just because I, we, we can't just assume it's the worst. So we will all be obviously keeping Damian Harris in our thoughts and uh, hoping for a speedy recovery there uh, for not only his football future, but just for his future, because, you know, the bills certainly have plenty of experience in those situations, um, not going well. And, um, and this team has been through a lot. And De and uh, Deion Dawkins even said it was like a PTSD moment. All right, Luca, we're going to get out of here. Uh, kind of an abbreviated episode. We're not going to kick it around the league because we are going to get this up on Spotify and YouTube and <laughs> Apple as fast as we can. So you can listen to it. If you're watching on YouTube, please take a moment to like and subscribe. It helps out Luca and I so much as we are trying to build this channel from the ground up. Luca, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Wins a win, ugly, whatever. When we are sitting here in December, hopefully with still what is a good season, it's just one of the many that you stack up together to put yourself in a position to succeed in the playoffs. Hopefully it gets you a better seed. It puts you in good spots. It wasn't fun. It was honestly a miserable game for 50 plus minutes, but 
it was a win. So everyone, maybe just take a deep breath before they send those tweets out because Twitter world is a wild one on Monday right now as we recorded this. So hopefully that dies down sooner rather than later. Had a chance to be a very awful Sunday had the Bills lost because the Jets look respectable again. Uh, the Bengals look like they might be back. And uh, the Browns, even without Deshaun Watson, got a win that nobody saw coming. And I think they're going to factor in very much so in the AFC with that defense they can roll out every week if Deshaun Watson can just play steady football. So AFC is going to be tough. We knew this going in. It felt like maybe there were some situations playing out with Burrow, with Aaron Rodgers going down where a couple teams we thought could be really good. Um, might be out of the way. That does not appear to be the case. The Bills are going to have to earn it the hard way if they are going to get that elusive Super Bowl trophy. Luca and I will be here for that entire ride as we see if the Bills can finally get that done. For Luca, I am Josh McCarty. We will talk to you next week on Bills Chat.